Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
song to God be the glory.
soldier in a shameful gambling game won the blood-stained garment that once had clothed my king a cheap robe of linen no great value did it hold but when worn by the master it was worth more than gold you see a few days before why this old robe had changed the life of a tired and helpless woman who believed with all her might she reached out and touched it with hope to be restored she knew this plain old garment was the vesture of the lord and god is his That 
You see, it's what he can make you to be. For if God can take an old common garment and change a life, then surely he can use
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Thank you, Nadia and Ricky on strings. Good job. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful time of worship that we've already had this morning. And as you're turning there to Ephesians chapter 4, again, I want to just take a point of personal privilege here. Thank you again for uh, the way that you have just loved on our family and uh, most of all for the prayer support that we have received over 
um, the last couple weeks and uh, folks that have brought us food and, and just done little things, classes that have done things for us. We, we appreciate that so much. Uh, what, a, what a loving church family that, that we're blessed to have. And I praise the Lord for uh, my mom and dad's church, Westside Baptist Church in Murray. They have gone above and beyond to take care of my parents. And uh, my mom just keeps on saying through this entire thing, I don't know how people go through things like this without the Lord. And uh, she's just received such strength from the prayers that you've you've lifted up for and uh, appreciate that. She's going to continue to need that for several more weeks as uh, we go through this healing process. But uh, thank you so much for uh, loving us through this time. As we go there to Ephesians chapter 4, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, again today, we thank you for the opportunity to spend this time in your word. Lord, we thank you for what we continue to learn through this letter that, that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Lord, we thank you for the truths that it brings out. And as we continue to focus on unity, Lord, help us to see um, that it is a fragile thing. and It's so easily broken. And we have so many prideful things within our hearts that would keep us from being unified. But yet you've told us that the way that the world will know that we are yours, the way the world will know that we are different, is because we love one, one, that we love one another, that we are unified when there's so many things that should cause us to be fractured. And so, Lord, I pray that again this morning that we would recognize, Lord, that we are a sinful people. And, Lord, we are constantly needing your grace to cover us, to keep us from doing things that would, that would tarnish the name of the church and that, that would bring dishonor to your name. Lord, help us to recognize when our lives are not what they need to be, that we would repent and that we would come back to where you've called us to be in relationship to you. And so, Lord, have your will and your way during our time and your word this morning. Teach us as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, as we saw last week, uh, we talked about unity within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and specifically about the plea for unity that Paul brings here in verse 3. And in that verse, Paul challenges the church to work toward unity or towards agreement within the church. He goes on to tell us that it is only possible when we allow the Holy Spirit of God within us to cause us to walk together as one because it's not something natural for us as as human beings to be unified. We want our own way. We're prideful people, as we'll see this morning. And so it takes the Spirit moving and working and being in charge of our lives for that unity to be possible. Unity in the church comes down to two great essentials. First, we must love one another like God commanded us to. And that's one of the things we talk about here at Brinesburg is love God, love people, be a servant. That's, that's how it works. Uh, we have to humble ourselves to that place where we recognize it's all about him. It's all about loving the people that he brings to us and, and serving them as he has called us to. And secondly, we must yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. To yield to the control of the Holy Spirit who dwells within every child of God. And when we submit to his control, he will cause us to live out what we see there in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which will cause us to walk together in love and peace and in unity. And so with that in mind, I want to look a little deeper at this passage as we look at the problem this morning, the problem of unity. And so as you, as you come uh, to that place there in Ephesians chapter 4, if you will stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let's look at these first six verses again this morning. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, 
with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You may be seated. The first thing I want you to to take notice of this morning is the problem of unity. I'm just going to touch on this thought because it's not explicitly mentioned uh, within the text. It is, however, clearly implied. In verse 3, Paul commands us to be about the business of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so if we have to work to guard the unity of the church, if that's something we have to work at, if that's not something that's just natural, then it seems to me that this unity must be a very fragile thing. It can be quickly damaged. It can be quickly broken. So the unity of the church must be something that's easily forfeited if he tells us to protect it in this way. And so since we are commanded to work to guard the unity of the church, it stands to reason that we are the ones who cause the unity of the church to become fractured. It's us. The problem with unity in the church is that the church is made up of people. You ever notice that? I've, I've sometimes said, if it weren't for the people, the church would be a great place. The problem is, is that there would be no church, right? And we understand that, that the church is not a building. The church is not a campus with, with wonderful, nice, nice structures on it. No, the church is the people, and the people are what make the church wonderful, but the people are also what makes the church disunified many times. And so, to put it plainly, we have a problem with unity. While the, way that while the people are the church, the people are also the problem. We the people who make up the local church are the guardians of the unity that is produced within us by the Holy Spirit himself. But we are also the greatest danger to that unity. And why is that? It's many reasons could be listed. But I'm just going to mention a few for time's sake. And see if any of these hit home. We are all sinners. We all possess a sin nature. From birth, that's us. We are sometimes selfish. We're sometimes self-centered. We, all, we want our own way. We are jealous when we see others succeed, get blessed or promoted. How many times have we been a little jealous when another church starts growing and maybe we don't see the same growth? We get angry when we think that we've been wronged. We act out in spite, hoping to hurt those who we think may have hurt us. We fail to forgive the wrongs done to us by others. We fail to love the Lord like we should, and this, we cannot love others like we should. And by the way, when you fail to give love, you are not in a position to receive love either. You have kind of closed off both sides of that. We allow our sinful nature to be manifested in all of our human interactions and we are brought together from different backgrounds and with different views about right and wrong and with a different opinion about how things ought to be done. We have different agendas in life and that is we have different opinions about what church should be and how it should do what it does and how it should operate. And so to sum it all up, in a sense, we are different from one another. We're different from one another. And that is the greatest threat to the unity of the church. And that is always the problem in a nutshell. 
is that we all have a sin nature and we're all striving for what we want because we're pretty selfish at times. And so that brings us to the second thing that I want you to focus on. And that's the path to unity. The path to unity. Let's back up to verse 2 as we think about the path to unity. In this verse, Paul mentions several characteristics that should be true of each of us. And so these characteristics, if they are true in your life and mine, will go a long way to helping us to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that, that Paul talks about. The only way that we will ever fulfill the challenge of verse 1, which says, I beseech you, therefore, I, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, is to be sure that the following characteristics are true in, inside of each and every one of our lives. It's the only way that we can ever hope to balance the scales, which is what that word worthy truly means. And we've talked about that. And so if we really want to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord and that help the church walk in unity, then we must be sure that our lives are marked by the characteristics that Paul lists here in verse 2. And since we are, they are so vital, we will take some time as we consider these um, because I believe these are the kind of people we have to be if we want to bring glory to our God. And so the first word that is, is what we see there is lowliness. This word means to think or to judge with lowliness, to possess lowliness of mind. It speaks of the idea of humility. And that word in its Greek form was never found in secular writings. It was a word coined only by the Christians. The Romans and Greek society had no concept of humility, really. The person who placed others ahead of self was considered to be a weak person, a, a cowardly person, an unnatural person. And so they looked at anyone who was humble as being weak. And so when Paul wanted a word to describe the humble person, he actually had to invent a new word to use there. The Greeks and the Romans believed that the people should be proud, that the people should be self uh, satisfied. And so they believed that anyone who took a low view of themselves was a warped person. That was just not natural. And so this word was a later picked up by some secular writers. And it was always used, though, always used in a derogatory fashion to describe the Christians as weak because their culture could not understand why a person would be humble. Why would anyone want to do that? And so the world might look upon humility as a weakness, but it is the most fundamental of the Christian virtues. You cannot be like Jesus if you're unwilling to humble yourself. And Paul is making that very clear. Without humility, we can never please the Lord. Without humility, we can never be like Jesus because humility is the opposite of pride. Pride is always the problem. Pride is defined as a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing of conduct. Pride is essentially thinking more of yourself than you have a right to. Thinking more of yourself than you really have a right to. That is the issue of pride. And our world is filled with pride. People talk about it all the time. People talk about the time, about the pride and they have in their jobs and their possessions and their families and their, and, their, and their children. The world is about boasting and bragging, about posturing and making yourself look better than you really are. That attitude has even infiltrated the church, if you've noticed. People want to put on airs as they walk into the church building and make people think that they have everything together. 
And so we give awards and plaques and degrees and applause to one another. And it's all done in a way that makes pride acceptable to us in every area of our lives. However, there is a problem. Pride was at the heart of the first sin. You see, pride was at the heart of Adam and Eve's sin there in the Garden of Eden. They thought that God was holding out on them. They thought that they could do something to lift themselves up a little higher. Pride is soundly condemned in the word of God. Pride will be judged by the Lord. Pride is at the heart of every temptation that comes our way from Satan because pride is at the center of his very nature. And as long as we are in the flesh, we will battle with pride. Satan will ever be seeking ways to cause us to rob God of his glory by exalting ourselves. Pride is the sin of competing with God. And so when we are proud of our talents, of our uh, abilities, of our education, of our knowledge, of our possessions, of our appearance, of our skills, of our wealth, or anything else that we may have, then we at that very moment are guilty of pride. We are guilty of self-exaltation. We are guilty of a great sin. And so pride will cause you to dominate every conversation. Pride will cause you to talk about yourself One of your favorite words will become I. Pride will cause you to be rude, thinking you are more important than everyone else around. So let me share with you some of the characteristics of pride. When any of these are true in your life, then there is an issue that needs to be dealt with, the issue of pride. The first is being blind and unable to see pride. You see, pride envelops itself in smoke unless you're in the mirror of God's word then you won't be able to see it. It's only by his grace that you're allowed to see that sin in its full magnitude and be able to deal with it. And so many people see the logs in other people's eyes and maybe they only see the speck in their own. And so they may even say, I'm proud. And then they move right on as if it's an insignificant thing. No, I'm a proud person. And then they move on. Like that's not a sin. They're proud of their pride. And Jesus says that's not acceptable. But also being unthankful is an issue. Being unthankful. Proud people think that they deserve only what is good. And the result is, is why should they be thankful? Why should I be thankful? What's anybody ever given to me? As a matter of fact, they may even complain because they think they deserve better than what they have. And so they tend to be critical. They They tend to be complainers. They may grumble, be discontent, see the downside in everything, be quarrelsome and divisive. But maybe your issue is outburst of anger, withdrawing, pouting, being moody or impatient because of one's perceived rights or schedule aren't being met. Maybe that's the issue you have. Maybe it's an issue of being a perfectionist type of person who wants to be the best at everything and always proud of it. Why? Because it's self-serving to be like that. They brag and they talk about themselves all the time. It reminds me of the cartoon that had Garfield talking to Odie the dog. Anybody know who Garfield is? Or am I? Okay, yeah. Well, Garfield says, Odie, I'm tired of talking about me. You talk about me for a while. <laughs> Sadly, that's how many of us are. I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you, you talk about me for a minute? Some folks simply have an inflated view of their own importance, abilities, and talents. But maybe it's seeking independence. Some 
Proud people find it extremely difficult to work under anyone else or to submit to anyone else. They have to be their own boss. And they say, well, I don't need anyone. I don't need accountability for my faith and doctrine. I don't need anyone to teach me. I don't need anybody to preach to me because I believe what I believe. And I don't need anybody else to explain it to me. Others cut themselves down with comments, but inwardly they crave that self-sufficiency. They want somebody to say, oh, no, but you're great at this because they're proud. Maybe it's the issue of monopolizing conversations, being rigid and stubborn and headstrong and intimidating. Maybe it's the issue of being consumed with what others might think. Pride can cause you to become a people pleaser or even to become a man fearer. Maybe it's being devastated by criticism. If anybody criticizes, you're destroyed because everything about you is what other people think. Maybe it's not listening very well. Maybe it's because you compose what what you're wanting to say as everybody else is speaking. You're not ever really listening. You're thinking, if they would just be quiet, I could get out what I want to say now. Maybe it's being unteachable, a know-it-all. You think you're superior, that you can't learn anything from anyone. Maybe it's being sarcastic, hurtful, and jesting, saying saying things like, well, that's just the way that I am. That's just my personality. Well, I'm just type A. I'm dominant, whatever else you want to say, but it's really just an excuse for the issue of pride. Maybe it's wanting to be praised or to be coerced into serving, never willing to just say, God, let me be used wherever you see fit. Unwillingness to initiate or or commit to to the right thing simply because it's pleasing to God. Such people are just consumed with themselves, jealous, envious, not glad for others' successes, but deceitful, covering up faults and rarely seeking help. They're fake. They're hypocritical people. Maybe it's being defensive. It's not my fault kind of person. It can't be my fault. They attack one another, revenge and trivializing their own sins, rationalizing it and justifying it, judging others by their own self-made standards. Often proud people rarely admit their sin. They even more rarely ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's lacking in biblical prayer and service to other people and in sacrificial deeds of love. Thomas Watson said, we should pray without ceasing because beggars beg. And that's who we are. We don't deserve anything the Lord has given to us. It's all because of his grace. And sometimes we tend to forget that. And instead, proud people are touchy and irritable and ultra sensitive. And we forget who we really are without Jesus. Resisting authority, being disrespectful towards others. We say he or she has a submission problem. No, they have a pride problem. It's merely displaying itself in that way. This person is really concerned about the welfare of others. And they view and judge others in terms of how others support them and their concerns. And so they voice their preferences at times. Even when not asked, they they will say what they want. When they do voice them, it's without compassion or consideration for others. And they convey an unappreciable attitude even when someone points out a flaw there's always a quick retort minimizing it and moving on now I don't know about you but I can confess here that I probably have an issue with a lot of these I can confess that I have or or have had a problem with several of the things that we just listed off and I think if any of us are honest we can say that we all have to battle that 
Pride is a problem we will deal with until we are delivered from these bodies because pride is something that is easy to see in the lives of others, but it's nearly impossible to see in self. Pride is at the heart of all sin and all problems in human relationships basically come back to the issue of pride. Somebody got their ego stepped on and there's an issue then. It's the reason disunity arises so easily within the body of Christ. It's the reason folks don't respond to the Lord's invitation. Some of you are going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak to your heart this morning, and you know you're lost, but pride will keep you in your seat because you're unwilling to humble self. It's the reason that folks don't pray. It's the reason that folks don't spend more time in the Bible It's the reason that folks don't attend church as they should. It's the reason that you're sporadically coming, maybe. It's pride. It lies at the heart of every sin. So this passage is not about pride, though. This passage is actually about the polar opposite of pride, which is humility. And so what is humility? Well, the dictionary defines it as the quality of condition of being humble, modest, opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. That word used here of lowliness literally means a deep sense of one's littleness. And so let's talk for just a moment about humility. Humility is very elusive because when you reach the place where you think you're humble, you've just lost it. That's the problem. And I wonder, maybe you've heard about the the pastor um, who actually won the award for the most humble pastor in America. And so as a recognition, his congregation made him a nice medal, and then they had to take it away from him because he wore it. Uh, that's, that's the problem here. Uh, humility is something that will never see your, in yourself if you're truly humble. And yet, it is something that others will see continually in your life. When you mention it, the truly humble person will not see it because they're incapable of really acknowledging it. If they acknowledged the fact that they were humble, that would be pride, and humility would then instantly be forfeited. The truly humble person never sees it in themselves. True humility involves two essential components. First, it involves a proper view of oneself, because the truly humble person sees himself as he really is. Our human nature is to exaggerate our own qualities while minimizing the good of others. Our nature is to make ourselves look better than we truly are. The genuinely humble person, though, knows and confesses that he is a sinner. And the genuinely humble person does not compare himself to others. But then secondly, we see here, it involves a proper view of God. Because the truly humble person sees God as the source of salvation. The truly humble person sees God as the source of all righteousness. The truly humble person sees God as the source of all blessing and all success and all ability. The truly humble person sees God as he is. And that awareness of God causes the humble person to respond in ways that demonstrate that humility. And so we must all come to the place where we understand that God is not impressed with our education or our fame or our abilities or our skills or our achievements or whatever else we have done because none of it is about us. All of that means exactly nothing to God. When we rely on those things instead of relying on God, we erect an impenetrable barrier between ourselves and him. We must be honest about who we are. You see, because we are nothing, there's nothing about us that commends to God at any level. There is nothing in us that causes him to be pleased with us, to to bless us or to save us. 
You see, we could only be saved when we lay aside all of the pretenses of our pride and become like a little child and we humble ourselves before him. We will only be accepted by him when we realize that he accepts us by grace through faith apart from any human effort, that we had nothing to bring to the table, that he saved us by his grace. And so the truth of Luke 18, 14 needs to be driven home to us, which says, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Brinesburg, we're talking about humility and pride because they affect our ability to live like Christ. Pride will cause me to live as if my ways are right. And when I walk in pride, I do what I please, when I please, with whom I please. But when I'm humble, I walk like Jesus. I walk like Jesus walks. And so pride and humility also affect the way that we function together as a church because when I talk in pride, I will, I will always demand my own way. I will offend when I don't get my way. And I will wear my feelings on my shoulder and I'll get my feelings hurt very easily. I will seek to exalt myself and what I think and who I am and what I want done. All those things and many more certainly undermine the unity of the church. A church full of proud people will not function as the body of Christ. However, when I walk in humility, I will realize that nothing in life is really about me, about what I want or about how I feel. And I will come to the place where I realize that everything is about the glory of God. And so I will not be offended when someone else acts in pride because I'll realize that they just need to be prayed for. I will not demand my own rights or my own way. I will not trumpet my own accomplishments and talk about myself all the time. I will not seek to dominate every conversation and turn it to myself. I will not put the good of others ahead. I will always put the good of others ahead of my own. I will look for ways to honor God with my words and my walk, and I will yield myself to the Spirit of God and trust Him to lead me in the right ways. While God stands against pride, He has promised to do what? To bless the humble. To bless the humble. And when we lose ourselves in him, we will be used by him and blessed by him. But as long as we continue to walk in pride, we're doomed to failure and we will condemn the church to continual struggles with unity. So William Temple said this about humility. He said, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. And so true humility is not thinking little of yourself and much of others. True humility is not thinking of yourself at all. When we become truly humble, we will cease to matter to ourselves. Pride and the lack of humility are devastating to the unity of the church because we all have this tendency within us to promote self. And so when Jesus spoke of the second commandment, he said, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, Jesus understood that we didn't need any help loving ourselves. We're really good at that. And so he said, the issue is bringing your love for others to that same level. Are you willing to love others like you love yourself? Because if you can do that, then you'll be doing well. Most of the time, we don't love to that level, and as a result, we're often guilty of putting ourselves and our own agendas ahead of what is best for the body of Christ. 
We must ask the Lord to help us to develop true humility of heart so that nothing matters to each of us other than the glory of God and his church. And when that alone is the desire of every heart, the church will walk in perfect unity to the glory of God. So Brinesburg, we're going to come back to this next week and look at the the remainder of these characteristics. And I've spent some time here on this issue of pride, though, and humility this morning because it's really the root of all the problems or it's the root of all success when we understand what true humility is. And so if we don't get this, then we won't get the rest of it. When we walk in pride, problems will be the result. But when we walk in humility, God will be glorified and the church will be unified. And so when we walk in humility, meekness, and long-suffering and loving forbearance, we will all be abundantly blessed with unity in the church. But maybe this morning as, as we come to this time of decision, you're recognizing that there's a lack of, of unity, that there's a lack of, of anything that would glorify God in your life because you're lost. And maybe the issue of pride is what continues to keep you from making a decision. Because you don't really want to let go. You don't really want to come and say, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. Well, this morning we invite you to come. We invite you to humble yourself, repent of your sin, and turn to Jesus. And the moment you do that, you're going to recognize that that relationship with Jesus is far greater than anything that the pride that you were trying to hold in your life could ever bring to you. Maybe this morning you have a need just to come to this altar. Maybe you just need to lay some things down here. Maybe you need to join this church family. Whatever it is, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, will you, will you get rid of the pride? Will you humble yourself to the place of just obediently responding to him? Well, Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful reminder from from Ephesians chapter 4, of how fragile that unity within the church truly is and how easily it can be broken because we are a prideful people. We're people who want our own way. We want our own agendas to be accomplished. We, we want what we want. But Lord, if we will truly be humble, if we will truly seek what is the best for the glory of God, for your glory and your honor, for your church, Lord, we'll see the unity that you so desire for us. Lord, I know we've got some folks here today that are lost. And we pray that they might humble themselves, even now, that they, they recognize that I need to get rid of all these excuses and I just need to come to Jesus. And Lord, we're going to rejoice as they make that decision this morning. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.